Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, I uh, felt impressed by the Spirit of God to speak about a certain aspect of faith. Of course, all of us say, yeah, we have faith, we know faith. What is faith? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are preaching faith. And as long as I mean, this body, I will teach faith because one of the mandates that God has given me is to teach faith. I will always be on the side of faith. I will always be on the side of faith. I will always be on the side of faith. Those of you who know me, know me. I don't know how to live in unbelief. I don't know how. Even Christians do it. You understand? I don't know how somebody lives in unbelief, but I will always be on the side of faith and that's a whole summon because some of you need to understand faith is not something you appropriate in trouble faith is something you leave the bible says the just shall live by faith you see faith is not something you appropriate when you're in trouble it's not something that you bring out when you're sick or when something is disturbing you or when you're in trouble no faith is supposed to be a lifestyle it's supposed to be a thing you live because some people just apply faith but they don't know how to live by faith somebody shout hallelujah in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Let me also emphasize this. Before salvation came, in the Jewish culture, they had hours of prayer. Sixth hour, the third hour, the ninth hour. They had hours in which they went into the temple to what? To pray. Most of which was that it would allow a certain order in worship because... Even the priests had other commitments that they had with God. So God had hours and the 12th hour. So they used to have hours in which they used to go to pray. So when salvation comes and Jesus Christ is dead and raised from the dead and now he leaves the disciples behind, some of them kept with the culture of the praying within those hours that were allocated within the temple. That is not supposed to be preached as a doctrine in the New Testament. Please let us be clear. Because I've had people saying that uh, the midnight hour, they've spiritualized the midnight hour, they've spiritualized the 3 a.m. hour, they've spiritualized the ninth hour, they've spiritualized the 6 a.m. hour. You don't get your personal convenient time of prayer and then put it on other people to impose it on them as a place of revelation. Because biblically, there is no justification of the hours for us to be able to pray into except the examples that are given of men which were doing it before even the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They used to go in different hours to pray in the temple. That was a tradition. You cannot say that that is a revelation. The New Testament believer is supposed to pray whenever they are impressed, whenever they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, praying always in the Spirit. He did not say praying in the times that have been allocated for us to pray. Leave that for the Muslims. Yeah, leave that for 
other religions. You see? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because number one, we have different time zones. Some of you live in East African time or standard time. Some of them are in BST or it depends on the standard times. It's morning in your world. It's day in another man's world. It's evening in another man's world. It's morning in another man's world. You see what I'm saying? So you mean to say that God goes in those hours and then says, okay, now Jack in London is going to pray at the 6 a.m. But then after that, when I'm done with him, when the 6 a.m. comes in Uganda, then I will run to Robert also because I respect the 6 a.m. No, 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 no. The Bible says to God, light and day are the same. Day and night are the same. His days are not our days. His nights are not our nights. That's why the Bible says one day in the house of the Lord is like what? A thousand. You see what I'm saying? So God's day is not our day. He created the days of men on his fourth day. So you're not far from somebody who emphasizes the Sabbath to be on a Saturday. Because I really want to tell them, if we go back from the sixth day, that's God's sixth day. He had created the days of men on the fourth day. So predominantly speaking, if his day is thousands and thousands in our system, so when did we really know what the Saturday was? That makes sense. See what I'm saying? And his Sabbath is not our Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is a rest. It's not just a day. It's a rest. Somebody shout hallelujah. Anyway, back to what I was trying to say. Do not build doctrines about hours of prayer. Because your time of convenience might not be his time of convenience. It might be that at the time you're praying, she's actually working. You understand what I'm saying? When she's done working at two, she should not stab herself because she missed the midnight hour prayer marathon. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> no, 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 no. Build a relationship with God that learns to pray always. You'll be amazed. For me, I pray always. I don't have a standard time. No. I have a heavenly timing. Every time it's on my spirit, I can even start praying after service. For me, praying is not something that I have hours for. I'm available for any time the Holy Spirit impresses it. I've had experiences where he has impressed it in the most awkward hour, most awkward time. Then he tells you, disconnect right now. What? Disconnect right now. You need some time with me. You know, one time Kenneth Hagen writes a story of he had just sat on the table to eat food. He had guests. <laughs> he had guests. And the Holy Spirit told him, prayer time, now. <laughs> Imagine you have guests. Then he told them, you know what? Something is so pressing, excuse me. He had to leave his guests on the table. Not that he wanted it, but he heard the Holy Spirit telling him there was a matter of urgency. And indeed, there was a matter of urgency. You understand? People can get in trouble when you don't know. You see, some of you don't understand that when you have a pastor, it's more than just receiving a Sunday sermon and Thursday sermon. We have responsibilities over you. We pray over you. We see. We watch over you, the Bible says. We give accountability for you. Recently, my wife is in the kitchen. She's preparing for something. And then a vision plays before her of one of our church members. And he is in a very terrible accident. It plays before her eyes. She sees everything to the end. See? And then, immediately, she knows that it's going to happen within a few. And it's so interesting that coincidentally, 
within that same period, that church member in whom she has seen the vision about was actually in movement, was in motion in a vehicle or something at that point. So she cancels it boom, immediately and arrests the spirit of destruction and death and stuff like that. So a couple of minutes, this person comes where she was and she says, I saw a vision of an accident. And the guy said, you know what? I've actually just survived a very bad accident. A very bad accident. You see? So as my wife is telling him what she had seen, he's also telling his tale of how he survived a very bad accident. I'm just giving you an example. God has created our spirits to be alert. To be alert. Because anytime God will require you to pray, and you won't need to say, oh no, I need to adjust. No, 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 no. Praying always, as you are inspired by the Holy Spirit. A life of prayer is not supposed to be subject to times. It's supposed to be subject to divine inspiration. When you are not praying enough, you'll still feel it. Because in there, you have a spiritual conviction. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is responsible to convict us into something. Do you know there was a period I was praying? A certain season of prayer that I'd set aside to pray. And the Lord sends an angel in the night. And the angel comes. You know, these are things I don't usually want to share because some people might not understand this. But an angel comes and says, you are not praying enough. He said, but I'm praying. He said again, you are not praying enough. And went back to him. You see, but I'm praying. I think in my head I'm praying. You see? But earlier, a few months before, I had also had a certain experience with God about something that was going to happen in my ministry. And this angel that had come later, the same angel I'd seen a couple of months ago in that vision, which is personal, I see he's coming now to tell me that your place of prayer now is not in the realm of what is mandated and generally acceptable by God to pray. This responsibility of prayer is actually connected to the mandate that you received a couple of months ago. So sometimes even our degrees of prayer are subject to the mandate or the assignment of God on our lives. You see what I'm saying? So I had to adjust. It took me quite a long time to adjust to what the Spirit required of me. But when I started to pray in that place, then I started to see certain things. So you see, prayer is instructed. It should be instructed. It must be instructed. When you're not praying enough, you will know. You will know. And when you're praying enough, you will still know. But don't subject it to the time of the earth, Kronos. You are seed of Kairos, appointed times, spiritual. Somebody shout hallelujah. So anyway, back to what we're reading. So a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. 
And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping, praising God. Somebody shout hallelujah. I want to tell you a very interesting mystery in that very story that was going to help you, especially for those of you who want to move in the healing anointing, especially. This will work in other aspects of faith, but especially for those of you who want to move in the healing anointing. And the emphasis for me is in the line of such as I have, I give thee. You see, why do I emphasize that? Because usually when you read the story of Jesus Christ, when you see the first example of miracles that we have in scripture, you see him rebuking a deaf spirit. You see Jesus rebuking a dumb spirit. You see him addressing, you know, Lazarus come forth. You see him calling out some things. You see him commanding some things. We see the disciples commanding devils out of people, rebuking devils out of people. They tell him we rebuke devils out of this person and they could not come out. What were we missing? So we see experience of Jesus or his disciples rebuking devils, casting out, addressing specific spirits, addressing individuals. But there were unique miracles. When we see him spitting on the ground, for example, and then out of that spittle he puts on a man's eye, that's a unique miracle because it's not the usual go in the name of Jesus. You see, it's not the usual heal or leave him. It's not the usual. So there's a summon there. There's a summon there. And there's a mystery there, actually. I can demystify it. There's some connected about the clay. When you read that portion of scripture, he uses the word anointed his eyes. He didn't say he put the clay on his eyes. The scripture says he anointed the eyes of the blind man. There's something there. So in some of the miracles, there are distinctive marks that are instructing for us especially who want to or desire to move in serious healing anointings. I'm not talking about flu or cough, no. We've seen miracles. We have seen miracles. You've been in this ministry. You have had miracles. I read miracles every week. And some you'll never know. Some you'll never know. Because there's so many for us to count. Somebody shout hallelujah. But on this, let me emphasize on this. Peter uses another method, I may call it, of healing. He says, such as I have, I give you. Then he tells him, get up in the name of Jesus. Such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up, I give thee. He used the word, I give thee. What did he have that he gave? What is having? What is it? Ah, he had this, he had that. Yeah, you're right. But if you have what Peter had, would you know how to give it? Do you even know it? Don't assume that you do, but do you really know it? Because if you do, then why aren't you giving it? Or if you have it, then why isn't it appropriated? Why doesn't it work? 
Somebody shout hallelujah. You see, I've been in places where we're praying for people of all manner of sickness and ailments. I've seen parents who have brought their children to me sick. Husbands that have brought their wives in my office, wives that have brought their husbands, families in pain, cancers, and all these kinds of things. Recently, a family brought me a man who had cancer, stage four, and the head, head was swollen, could not see, I think his eyes were messed up. He could not walk. He was literally invalid. But this family has faith. You know, when you're praying around people who believe, it's amazing. This family had faith. And it was obvious that there was nothing science could do where the man is. And this family, they came in a big number. We prayed with that man. And I asked the son and I told him, who also serves in this ministry, I told him, please do me a favor and send me updates on your father every week. About a month, they sent me pictures. The man's to my shrunk. The man has started walking. He's talking now. He couldn't talk. The time they brought him to the office, he could not talk. Now he's talking. God is reversing something in that man's body. Somebody shout hallelujah. But it's in what we are able to give. That was just a testament to help somebody. But you see, they bring people. And I have seen an error in when people make statements like, it is not us who are healing, it is God. Now, that is true, 100% true, that it is not us who heal, but it is what? It is God. But you see, when we say that, many people not only have they relieved themselves of the responsibility in the healing, okay? Because you see, even in this portion of scripture, later on you see the man of God telling the world, be not amazed, it's Jesus who did it. So obviously, it's God who heals. But how does he heal? This is one thing to say, God is healing. How does he heal? And some in that portion of scripture, in that statement, it is God who heals. Some of them error in the interpretation as of to mean that you are going to pray for this person and the power of God is going to come from heaven and come and touch this individual and heal him. I've seen people who are praying for the sick and they are crying desperately. They are weeping. There's a desperacy in their souls and they are weeping with pain. God, heal my son, heal my daughter, heal my wife, heal this individual. And then you see so much pain and they are weeping. And I see that that's an error because firstly, faith is not supposed to weep. When Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says he wept and said, where have you led him? After weeping, he cleans his eyes and goes to that grave. Are you hearing me? When he goes to that grave, he's not weeping. No. He has come to execute something. Let me help us understand. When the Bible tells us that Jesus wept, that's the shortest verse eh? in Scripture, John eleven thirty-five. This is the first time we see him weep before a miracle. But when you study that miracle, you realize Jesus was not weeping because he was desperate for the healing of Lazarus. He had already spoken that this man's sickness shall not end in death. He had spoken. So if he is omni 
omnipotent, omnipresence. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He knows the beginning from the end. He is assigned to all timing in human existence and exists in every dimension fully with his presence and full intellect. Jesus knew what was going to happen at Lazarus' tomb. Do we agree? So when the Bible tells us that Jesus wept, he's not weeping because he's desperate to see the miracle. No, actually, when he saw Mary weeping and he saw the rest weeping, he wept too. Now, if he knows that this man is going to be raised, follow me, if he knows that this man is going to be raised, and he said, this man's sickness shall not end in death. And then he sees people who love him weeping. And then he weeps. What are the chances that he is not weeping in unbelief, but he's feeling sorrow for these ones who are weeping? Why would he feel sorrow for a man whom he knows is going to raise? But he saw Mary weeping and the rest of them and saw how they loved. And those who see him weeping, those who think, that he's also weeping. Oh, see how he loves the man. You see? But there is no greater expression of love than acting in faith. You cannot say you love somebody and you cannot believe for them. Listen, when God said that he loved the world, he gave us faith. He gave us faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Grace and faith are the indelible marks of God's love towards us. It's the guarantee of our salvation. Somebody shout hallelujah. I cannot love you so much to prepare you to die. No, I should actually love you to give life. That's love. That's the expression of love. That's a true expression of love. It's to see that I give you life. You see, when a parent is told, oh, your child is sick and we need you to donate an organ, your kidney, we need you to donate blood, what would they do? Immediately, they say, get it out. Why? Because that's an expression of love. They don't say, I love them so much that I will not give them my blood. No, they'll give everything. God gave Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for us as an expression of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, so what do we give in our act of love? The best gift you can give those who love is faith. Is faith. Because the end of the gift of Jesus Christ was to give us a faith. To give us the faith. When he gave us Jesus, the end of Jesus Christ was that whosoever believeth and trusts in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, believing. Jesus given to us was to stir our hearts towards faith. When we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, we live by faith until the day we go to heaven. We become faith beings. From that day on, we become faith beings. You agree? So Jesus should not be just weeping because he's saying, oh, Lazarus is dead. He already knew. Even by the time they come to tell him, Lazarus, your friend is sick, he knows that this guy is going to sleep. But when he says his sickness shall not end unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be uh, glorified thereby, he knows that he has received the whole story. The power of the unction. The power of the unction. When the Bible says you have the unction from on high, the power of the working of the Holy Spirit, the unction. When the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord will reveal to you things to come, when you get into the knowledge of the next 10, 20, 30 years, and then you are brought back, like as one in a time machine to present, those of you who have watched movies of people who have time machines where they can move in the future, have you ever imagined what it's like to move in the future 
and then come back in the present and what you are supposed to do if you have had an opportunity of a glimpse of the future. Because I know people who by grace have been given impressions of the future. They're next 10, 20, 15 years. Some of them came through thoughts. Some of them came through dreams. Some of them came through ideas and imagination. Some of them were spoken through a prophetic word. But they do not know how to come back to the present and prepare for the future. If you don't know how to prepare for the realm that is coming, which belongs to you, the things to come are yours, which belongs to you. If you get in that timing one day and you were not prepared for it, you will have the agency of the spirit as one out of time. And it's a very dangerous thing to feel out of time in anything, either in your marriage, in your business, in your career. It's a very dangerous place when a man feels out of time. Because when you start feeling out of time of a thing, it only means that you did not respond to the impressions of preparing for the future. Either the vision of the future came and you did not know how to design it, or when it came and you could design, you did not know how to prepare for the years that are coming. We prepared for these years many years ago. Those of you who have walked with me for 10, 15 years, even before Fanero came, you would know that we are living in days that I spoke many years ago. But it takes a man of the spirit to understand that some things that this man is speaking right now might not be for this time. But when we see 10, 15 years, we see them. There are people right now that are getting a hold of those things in the 15 years or 10 years ahead or five years coming. And there are people who are simply passive. Or they're simply applying those things in their present day. So that means they will not have enough when the time comes and demands for them to appropriate that. Some of you know that you missed certain times. You can feel it. You can feel it. Her husband came one day and she did not know that he was the one because of how he came. His wife came one day and he did not know because of how she came. The right opportunity and door opened one day and they did not know that it was that door. The voice that should speak into them was available, but they never knew because it was so familiar. So to be able to design that, oh, and don't worry, God is a rearranger of eons. He can rearrange it. He can create for you. Yeah, he can create for you. Where did Cain get a wife? He can rearrange for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Do you believe it? Oh my God, I need some people who believe. Somebody shout hallelujah. So back to what I'm giving us. So they weep desperately. They cry desperately. In fact, Jesus is weeping for me in what I've studied was a sign of his pain towards their indifference and unbelief. Yet they love the man. He's saying they love him, but they don't know what to do with love. They don't know what's going to come. If you understand it from that perspective, you will know that faith was not meant to weep for the person you're praying for, for the individual going through that pain. No, 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 no. That's why I tell people, you can't mix tears with faith. Some of you are praying for yourself, but you're weeping. You can't mix those two. Help me, God. That's desperacy. Faith is not a realm of desperate people. Faith is a realm of people with substance. With substance. Somebody shout substance. Yeah, so many a times when they come, the first thing I tell them, stop crying. 
Why? Because they're bringing glory to the devil. The devil's like, look at her crying and she's believing. You can't do both. If you come in the office, I give them tissue first, clean your eyes very well and they're white. Then we pray. Somebody shout hallelujah. Some call and they're weeping, Apostle, my mother. You understand what I'm telling you? But you see, we can't mix both. You can't cry when we're believing. You have to first dry your tears and then we believe. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, people weep. And you know why? Because they think that out of that desperacy, in the appropriation of what they call faith, somehow God is going to look on them on their tears and then answer. And they lose them. They die. They fail to get the answer. Why? Because God is saying, but I showed you how faith is appropriated. And you are contrary. In fact, you are praying in unbelief. You're praying in unbelief. And so some of you don't get those answers. Because, see, there is no place of desperacy where faith is. You should never put that there. If you want to learn the way of faith, never be desperate, but yet in faith. You can't. You cannot. You should not. When a man has believed, he enters into a certain rest. As the Bible says, we which have believed have entered into rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. When you have believed God, there's a rest that takes away all desperacy. There's a rest that takes away all anxiety and fear. If you're not yet in that place, you're not believing. You're just desperate. Never confuse a desperate person from a believing person. Those two don't work together. Now, let's go back to this story. I want to show us something so beautiful. So this man, Peter, says, that which I have, I give to you. As I was saying, how does God work? God does not work out of the desperation of your heart weeping so that he comes and then heals your child. God does not send angels to heal us. That's not how he does it in the New Testament. If you're saying that it is God who heals, which is true, you must know how he heals or the terms of his healing. And these are his terms. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He's saying, everything I want to do, I can only do it through you. That is so big. Look at you clapping like you. No, listen, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That means if God has a will on the earth, he looks for a man. If God has a pleasure to fulfill on the earth, he looks for a man. Are you hearing me? But he does not work outside men. Listen, he does not work outside men. You don't say, Father, come from heaven. In fact, when the Bible speaks of the signs of a false prophet that is to be revealed in the end times, the Bible says that they shall call fire from heaven. And it says it's a sign of a false prophet because we no longer call from heaven. We command from the inside of us. Oh, glory to God. We command from the inside of us. If it is fire, it's inside our spirit. We command it out to consume whatever has to be consumed. He says that's a sign of a false minister. The Bible says if it were possible, they shall even deceive the elect a Christian. That's false. We don't call it from heaven. We call it from our spirits. Now, to him, which is able to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's waiting for you to know how to release that which is inside you. He's not waiting for you to pray for him to come. No, he's not coming. He's in you already. He's not coming from anywhere to save. No, he is in you already, ready to save. Somebody shout hallelujah. Peter walks to this man and says, such as I have, I give thee. Rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And the man's uncle straightened up and he started walking that hour. Why? Because Peter understood, I can only give that which is within me. I wish Christians understood this thing. If you understand this, you'll heal the sick. When you lay hands on a sick man, what do you see? Some people lay hands on a sick man and they see Jesus coming to heal. No, 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 no. That's not the God we preach. That is not the God of the Bible. No, the Jesus that we know and we preach said, when you lay hands on the sick, there is something in you which is me in you, that treasure in earthen vessel that the excellence of power might be of God. You channel all that energy and life out of your spirit and then you put it on a sick man. Are you hearing me? That is why he said you shall heal the sick. He didn't say that I'm not healing with you. He's saying no, I will get in you and you will heal. I will be that power operating out of you to heal the sick. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he says, freely you have received, freely give. You see, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, Matthew 10, 8. And he says, next line, freely have ye received, freely give. Freely give. So we give what we have received of him. Somebody shout hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, we give what we have received on him. So, when Peter tells this man, such as I have, the Greek word therefore I have is a call. It means, such as I have conceived in my spirit. So, you remember when the Bible speaks of Sarah, that by faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed that delivered her a child when she was past age. That statement, when she was past age, means when it was impossible because she judged him faithful who promised. To judge God faithful according to his promise. To judge God faithful according to his promise. He has spoken it. So she received, listen, follow the sentence there. She received strength to conceive. Peter says, such as I have conceived, I give thee. Are you following? She received strength to conceive seed. The word, Luke 8, 11, the parable is that the seed is the word of God. She received strength to conceive seed. Are you following me? She received strength to conceive seed. And the Bible says that delivered of her a child. So the miracle was having a child out of the time women give birth. Many years ahead of the time women give birth. Follow me here. It's not what you have been taught on. It's not how you were taught to pray for the sick. It's what you have conceived that you give. When a man has not understood the power of conception, you have no business with a healing miracle. You have no business with signs and wonders. It cannot work. Not in your life, not in your health, not in your ministry, not in your business. You cannot walk in the miraculous. Why? Because you have not yet understood the power of conception. 
So Peter is saying, when we were receiving this word, we didn't just receive it. We conceived it. What does it mean to conceive? We understood it with our spirits and our minds. The vision of our minds created that image because of the word. If your mind cannot create the image, if your mind cannot see it, I'm talking about the vision of your mind, right? From your spirit. Because when it comes to the spirit, that's where the seed is. You see? Your spirit is the foundation. But when your spirit is the foundation, I want you to follow this. When your spirit is the foundation, there is something it imprints on your mind. And what it imprints on your mind is the vision. I'll tell you something. This is something I always do when I'm healing the sick. And when I do it well, 90% of the times I get the miracle. So if you have been in crusades, you see, when I tell people, put up your hands, those of you who have been healed, you cannot count them. Some of us are registering miracles in numbers we're not able to count. I've read church history. The church is going somewhere. Follow me. The church is going somewhere. There's a time you have two, three people healed in a meeting. No, now we can have people in Gulu. We got tired of writing. People were getting healed. It was not possible in Gulu Crusade to write every healed person in one night. That's just how many people got healed. You see what I'm saying? But you see, your mind has an eye. Your mind has an eye. Your mind has an eye. And the eye of the mind receives the image of the vision of your spirit. That's the power of conception. If your spirit cannot form something that your mind can imagine, you have not yet conceived. That is why a man can pray for a sick person, but the image they have in their mind is death. That's desperacy. Because it means their faith is to die and they're trying to reverse it to life. Are you following? They are praying for a sick person, but they don't see that they're going to heal. They're praying for a business to change, but they see the visions that are playing in their mind. What their mind's eye is seeing is destruction. And some even say, but I believe, I am convinced, I know it, but it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. Why? Because of what your eyes are seeing. The mind's eyes seeing. Your imagination is seeing. Why, if you are praying for a change, are you seeing the opposite of that change that you're praying for? As a desperate woman, that's an anxious man. That's not how faith works. That kind of experience is usually with people who don't understand what's within and what they have. To have is to conceive. If you've not conceived yet, either you have not received it or if you've received it, you don't know how to appropriate it. The power of conception is to start that which you know has been given to you by God until it can create the mental image of your expectation. If you can have that, then you're living in faith. It's possible to deceive everyone that you're believing. You can say, I believe. Ah, you're doing all these kinds of things. But when you get into your mind, everything playing in your mind is showing that you actually do not believe. And many Christians are there. And they don't see the answers, the miracles, the results of their faith because they have not conceived yet. So if they had conceived, 
their spirits would give an image to the mind. But to show that they have not conceived it, their mind. That's why when God tells Sarah you shall have a child, she laughs. Huh? Why? Because her mind has no image. And do you realize that from the time God had told Abraham that your descendants shall be as the stars in the sky, even when he was leaving his own kindred and family, and I shall make you great, and I shall make you a great nation, you shall be a blessing. I will make you a great nation. When he says, I will make you a great nation, that was already a prophetic word to Abraham that there's a plan for you to have children. So when Sarah laughs at one point, God is showing us that Sarah's mind had never received the image. Or at one point, something happened, age, and all the science that speaks of how a woman should give birth. When that happened, she lost the image. So now there was a war of many years from that date, 14 or so. And God is telling Sarah, you're not delayed because I have failed to give you a child. I actually spoke it long ago. But you have not received the power of conception to deliver you that child. So when women said, I've conceived, what does that really mean? Biologically, that I've conceived. That means that my body has synchronized. The mind of my womb has agreed with the seed. That's conception. The mind of my womb has agreed, has gotten the image of a seed. And so this womb in you starts to create the image of the individual according to the instruction of the seed it has received. That's conception. When they say that woman does not conceive, it means the mind of her womb is dead. So when we're opening barren wombs, which we have seen in this ministry, or even one recently, I prayed for a woman, she could not conceive. When I prayed for her, she came out of that meeting and told God, by the way, two. Can you believe it? And she gave birth to twins. <laughs> After receiving that, she just said, by the way, two. By the way, two. And it was enough for God to say, uh-uh, now you've received it. The concept is there. Oh, the fact that she could say two. That means the image, her womb agreed and said, okay, I can make this happen. I can get two of them and make them. Are you hearing me? That is the power of conception. Now, Peter is telling you, we're not in the realm of people who are trying to believe God to work. We are in the realm where we have conceived a certain ability, a treasure in earthen vessel, that the excellence of power might be of God. For which cause, he says, we faint not. That is why we don't give up. That is why we don't get desperate. That is why we don't get anxious. No, we faint not. The outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We don't give up. We don't draw back to perdition. There is no way we can doubt God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen. amen. Glory to God. So he says we have this treasure. There's a treasure in other vessel. There's a treasure in other vessel. That the excellence of power may be of God, that if you want to see God excellently display his power, this has to be about that thing, that treasure in you. The treasure is a conceived experience. Not the planting, but the conception. It's not the seed you've planted in the ground, but it is the plant that the ground has conceived that bears forth fruit. Because the seed falls and it dies in that ground. But the moment 
out of that death, the jam comes out. The life within the seed breaks out and it can start to put roots out there. Sometimes when you look, for example, those of you who are in Africa who have seen a bean seed grow, you'd ask yourself, how does such a feeble shoot or stem break out of a hard ground? Break out of a hard ground. Because when conception has taken place, when conception has taken place, there is always a way. Tell your neighbor there is always a way. So, when you read the portion of scripture where the Bible says he saw Peter and John and he desired arms of them, the word there is a door, that is, he sees with his physical eye, and then he designed arms from them. And I want you to understand this. When Peter comes to him and tells him, look on us, the Greek word there is not a door, as in don't see us with your physical eye. The Greek word there is blepo, and blepo means design. Design this conception. Look on us. He told him, look on us. And the Bible says, and the man looked at them expecting something. Are you hearing me? Now you might think they're talking about a physical eye. No, perhaps the man could have been in the realm of the physical eye, but the fact that the expectation there is design on us. Look into us and design what we carry. That's what he's saying. So that means the power of expectation is the designing spirit that can see, that can see that this is more than just what the flesh can give. The ability to design a conception, the ability to design a conception is a very powerful thing. The ability to design that this thing this person is speaking is not just a sermon. I can design that something in my spiritual womb is getting a certain conception. That's why you have results. When you say I have results, when I'm under that ministry or when I listen to this man, things have changed in my life. It means that your spiritual womb has conceived. So he's saying we have the gift of God, the person of the Holy Spirit. Charisma. And it's source, charismatos. We have the life of God in us. And the life of God in us is a conceived experience. It is not just an assumption laying passively in our bosoms. No, it's a conceived experience. And because it's already in the realm of conception, that means it comes with a certain life. And as such as the life in the conception we have, we give you. That's what we extend to the sick. Get up in the name of Jesus. And a man's crippled legs come up and the man starts to walk. That's how the miraculous works. That's how it works. That's how it works. When you understand that, you lay it on your car. And it will move without fuel. Yeah. Now some people saying, now, he, he, now listen to him. Of course, if you're saying that, I understand you. Yeah, yeah I understand you. You've never conceived, so you don't know. You do not know. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. A woman sent a message. Her car ran out of fuel. She was listening to some. She spoke and she drove that car without fuel for another 15 or something kilometers. Out totally. So by the time somebody reaches the petrol station, the guys are asking her, how did this car reach here? Because <laughs> they can't understand it. 
You see what I'm saying? With God, all things are possible. Tell your neighbor, with God, all things are possible. What you have received, give. Raise your voice and start to speak to God. What a mighty God we serve. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Everything we turn about you is great. Don't be quiet. You were great. As you speak in tongues. You were great. You were great. You were great. is why I decree upon your life. May you receive the power to conceive. And may you walk and live in the realm of signs, miracles, and wonders according to your conceptions. When the Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing, it should be bigger than money. It should be in the life that we're able to put on impossible situations. On the sick on those that the doctors say are impossible to reverse and we reverse them in the name of Jesus Christ. Every man and woman at the sound of my voice, because of this message, you're going to walk in a certain realm of glory and anointing like you have never imagined. Even normal people are going to start doing miracles in their own houses in Jesus' name. So if you're sick in your body, such as I have, I give you heal heal let that cancer leave your blood in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus breast cancer is healing cervical cancer is healing HIV is leaving that body all his TDs are living in the name of Jesus. Just receive your word now. Somebody has a sick child right now. Leave, bipolar, leave. Schizophrenia, leave. Psychosis, leave. Somebody could not walk. Get up and start walking. In the name of Jesus. And how can we not hear miracles that have happened? They have happened. Clap your hands to Jesus. Because something, come on, clap your hands to Jesus. I know it is done. I know somebody, somebody watching me has received a miracle. This is the confidence that we have in him. 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. He heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, then we shall have the petitions for which you ask. That's in there. It's in my spirit. It's a conceived seed. Somebody shout hallelujah. It is done. Tell your neighbor it is done. Yes, your finances are fixed. In the name of Jesus, your marriage is fixed. Your daughter is fixed. Your son is fixed. Your ministry is fixed. In the name of Jesus, your job or career is fixed. Don't even ask how. Just say, I receive it. In the name of Jesus. If you have never given your life to Christ, you need the conception. You need a conception. Jesus is the seed. <laughs> he is the seed of Abraham. He is the son of God. He is the seed of the woman. When he comes into your life, conception is there. So I want you to repeat these words after me. Because God shed his blood for you. We want to be with you in heaven one day when we go. So repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. Because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.